Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roadmap from Auto Finance News. Since 1996, the nation's leading newsletter on automotive lending and leasing. I'm Joey Pizzolatto, editor of Auto Finance News, and joining me today is Amanda Harris, associate editor of Auto Finance News. Uh, this is our weekly wrap on what happened in auto finance for the week ending March 26, 2021. As always, before we start, I'd like to thank Auto Finance News advertisers, Alpha, Defy, MarketScan, DealerTrack, Point Predictive, State National, Struck, Struck and Levon, and Westlake Financial for their continued support. In general news, the Ever Given, that massive cargo ship uh, that was wedged between the banks and the Suez Canal for five days and preventing other ships from passing, was freed late last night or early this morning, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, roughly 13% of all global trade passes through the Suez Canal every year, and delays caused by the blockage are estimated to be in the billions of dollars. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention this morning also confirmed that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are 90% effective in preventing coronavirus infections after a study conducted on 4,000 frontline workers reaffirmed the findings the two companies had during their respective clinical trials. Finally, Initial jobless claims dropped well below median forecast last week, coming in at 684,000. Uh, granted, that's still a really high number, uh, but both the unemployment numbers and the CDC study point to the continued recovery of the economy, which is great for auto finance. In auto finance, last week we had a handful of stories uh, that examined on how some concerns outside of the auto finance industry could affect the auto finance industry, particularly the semiconductor chip shortage, which has created production headwinds in the automotive industry, and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's report to Congress on the Federal Debt Collection Practices Act. But before we get to that, Amanda, you had a story last, last week about global lending services inking a pass-through agreement with uh, Nissan. So I thought we could start by talking on, about, about that and you know its significance. Um, so basically this program, Nissan, it's really Nissan Motor Acceptance Corps program, so they're captive. Um, it's basically a program that they've had in place since 2014, so it's not a new program, um, but they've had this in place to, to basically allow customers who wouldn't normally, you know, get qualified uh, for financing through NMAX, uh, the actual captive, when they're applying for a loan on a Nissan used or a new vehicle. Um, to instead go through one of the two lenders in this program to get a loan and still benefit from, you know, Nissan's incentives and things like that. Um, so basically, it's a pass-through program. They've always had uh, two lenders signed on for this. Um, Santander Consumer USA has been a long partner. Um, and so the update here was that Global Lending Services um, has joined this program in place of another lender, which they, they are naming um, you know, but this is, this is who is going to run it now. So it's between GLS and Santander Consumer USA, where customers who maybe don't apply or don't qualify for financing through the captive can go through one of those two lenders um, and hopefully get approval. And then they still get to access like the incentives and everything that they would if they were getting financing through um, Nissan Motor Acceptance Corp. 
so that's, that's basically the benefit to the consumer is if they, you know, want those incentives and, um, you know, if there's a benefit for them to still be a part of this program that gives them that kind of leeway a little bit. Um, and it's really more toward like the subprime borrowers. Mm -hmm. Well, those incentives, they seem, they seem like they're, they're a kicker, right? Like they're, that's pretty consequential. Subprime lenders don't usually um, qualify for any sort of incentives. Uh, so, you know, that would be, you know, a cherry on top, if you will, um, to, to get some of these deals funded, um, especially considering, you know, subprime is, is, you know, significantly down as a result of the pandemic. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about in regards to this is, you know, this is the second move um, Global Lending Services has made in... I can't remember exactly when the our, the true true not the true card the car guru's deal was, um, but it definitely seems like you know they're they're making moves to try and um, increase their volume a little bit, um, and this Nissan thing could could be pretty significant for them, especially considering there's only two lenders on this program. Yeah, and you know, not very. It's not very clear, you know, how much how much business this program sees. Um, you know, how much they're passing through to these two lenders. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty like hushed kind of program. Uh, so there's not a ton of details on, you know, really how much they're seeing in this, but it does give that option. Um, and then of course, customers have to weigh, you know, going through this versus just trying to find financing through maybe a lender outside of, you know, the program and then coming and buying a vehicle at Nissan with that loan instead. Um, you know, so it's just one of those, another option, basically, uh, for those consumers. And I, I think it does, you know, help with, we know subprime has been kind of struggling during the pandemic. So the more options that are there and the more lenders who kind of offer these, um, you know, types of programs, um, I'm sure help those borrowers just have a little bit more leeway in some of the options available to them. Um, and maybe that will, that will help. But like I said, it's not a new program, so... Um, it's kind of yet to be seen how how big of an impact this would have, you know, but it, yeah, is, it is there, so. I would imagine, excuse me, I would imagine that, um, you know, they, will, they won't ever release, um, you know, details on, you know, volume that, that comes through this, um, but, you know, I think, you know, like, like you mentioned, I, it's, you know, it's significant in the fact that just it exists. Right. Um, and, you know, whether or not consumers actually see that they're getting passed through or not, I, I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the rates that, you know, Santander and GLS would be able to offer them in the absence of, you know, kind of that nice prime captive rate that, that you know, consumers would get if they qualified, um, I'm sure is somewhat, uh, you know, close. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a reason this program exists, right? Like, there's some incentive to have that option versus going, if you're denied for MAC loan, going somewhere else completely and trying to get a loan and coming back to purchase the vehicle with that. Like, this obviously would provide some kind of incentive. Um, like I said, they, they do get, they get options for those actual incentives. I don't know if they get, like, the 0% or anything like that, but there might be something that Nissan can offer them that they wouldn't be able to had they gone outside of. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would imagine they're definitely not getting that 0%. Um, <laughs> they're definitely getting, getting a, you know, a sum prime rate, but, but as you said, um, you know, 
the, the fact that it exists. I would be really interested to see how these pass-through agreements kind of have changed. Um, as you mentioned, you know, you go to a dealership, you say, I want this car. They're like, oh, well, let's see. Oh, you don't qualify for NMAC. Here's the rate we can give you with GLS. I wonder how that process change, changes um, as we kind of look at these kind of omni-channel um, approaches that, that lenders have been taking to, to financing. Um, maybe I'll have to buy a car or something. I'm, I'm, I'm due for one, so we'll see. <laughs> okay, maybe you buy a car. Because I, I, I live in New York. I don't, I don't want a car. All right, moving on. Um, so we also did a story um, on the semiconductor chip shortage and its effect on the auto finance industry. Um, for those that aren't aware, um, semiconductor shortage has been one of the, uh, I guess, tail, tailwinds, no, headwinds, excuse me, um, kind of that have come from, you know, manufacturing and production shutdowns that happened over the last year. We know um, the automotive industry is still kind of struggling uh, to get production back up to where it was and the semiconductor chip shortage is hampering um, OEM's abilities to make new vehicles. We've already seen Ford come out and say that they would be producing some vehicles without some of these chips. Um, and I believe uh, General Motors has also kind of um, taken a similar approach to some of its models to and or some of its factories and or models uh, to, you know, deal with this. Um, but for the auto finance industry, um, particularly, um, you know, the lenders and captives that securitize on the AVS market, this is actually a good thing um, for a couple reasons. Uh, first, you know, simply put, uh, lack of new vehicle inventory pushes consumers to the used vehicle market, which pushes prices up. Um, and because loans in lease securitizations are collateralized, um, you know, about, you know, 50 or 60%, depending on the deal, on, on the actual value of the vehicle. Um, these are five-year, usually five-year deals. Um, leases only run three years. So any of these, any of the, any of this paper that's in, in that deal, um, the rest of that, of that amount that's owed to investors needs to come from somewhere. And that comes from the residual value of the vehicle. Um, so this is going to push down um, losses on as as used vehicle or used vehicle prices stay high, that's going to push down on um, push down on um, losses and end up being a really you know good a credit positive as Moody's put it for um, you know these lease securitizations. Also, one thing we didn't explore in the story, um, which I thought was significant, um, is floor plan ABS is actually also going to be propped up by the semiconductor chip shortage, um, mostly because dealers aren't re-upping their inventory um, as often as they would if new vehicle production was high. So those floor plan lines are staying a little bit lower than usual and monthly payment rates, um, because sales are strong and inventory is low, is staying really strong. So that is also a credit positive um, for the ABS industry. Granted, and I'm almost done here, um, uh, off my soapbox, um, granted, you know, this, this, this problem with the semiconductor chip shortage is, uh, it's unknown how long it's going to last, but I think that the consensus is it should figure itself out by, you know, the second half of the year, in which case used vehicle values 
probably will normalize back kind of to a more normative level. We know that they're super high right now. Um, I believe mid-month, uh, March, Mannheim uh, was another record, um, not a surprise. But we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that going forward. Definitely. <clears throat> so shifting gears. Good information there, Joey. <laughs> yeah, you, thanks, uh -huh. thanks. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right, shooting gears one more time. Uh, Amanda, last week you uh, took a look at some complaints uh, in auto on the at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and we also examined uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's uh, twenty twenty report to Congress on the Federal Debt Collections Practices Act, otherwise known as the FDCPA. Um, so, what what do we find there, and you know, what do we kind of going to be keeping an eye on this week. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the initial report didn't have a lot to do with auto. Um, so there, there were quite a bit of complaints related to debt collection, debt collection practices, sorry, um, in 2020 compared to a year ago. That's not to be, that's not very surprising um, with the pandemic and everything. Of course, there was a lot of deferrals and, and things like that happening. So there was probably some confusion from consumers. Um, also there, you know, consumers were struggling a little bit. Um, so of course, debt collection, any, any of that happening during a pandemic is gonna prompt some complaints. Um, so there was about 82,000 complaints in 2020 uh, specific to debt collection practices. Um, of those, and, and the CFPB did release a more in-depth report, which we're going to have a story on um, this week to kind of break down some of this a little, little bit more. Um, but auto accounted for about 4% of those complaints. So it wasn't a ton in auto. And again, that's not very surprising because, you know, there was a lot of moratoriums on debt collection. So repossessions weren't really happening. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, payment deferrals, um, things like that in place. The stimulus helped consumers out in auto. Um, so there was a lot of help in the auto industry to, to kind of prop up consumers and, and kind of put a hold on taking back cars and things like that. So that, that's not surprising that this wasn't really a huge thing in our industry. Um, but, you know, given that there, there were some complaints, um, there's just some things that, you know, auto lenders need to be aware of you know, that there is confusion um, from customers on, on how these, some of these deferrals work. Um, and we're gonna kind of get into that in our more in-depth story, but that might prompt more this year as these programs end, um, you know, there is some concern that consumers may not understand that they still owe the full amount that was deferred. Um, there might be some concerns as these moratorium repossessions end, um, that might prompt some, some new complaints um, and overall, and we'll get into this later as well, but, you know, overall there was higher complaints in, like, related to vehicle loans and leases, not necessarily on the debt collection side, just in general. Um, so we'll kind of be breaking this down a little further um, as we got the, the bigger report, and it is a large one, so um, it really kind of helps to put this in perspective. Yeah, well, the CFPB is not known for, um, you know, clear concise or concise reports. Maybe not clear. Clear is probably not the right word, but concise or short, they're not known for. Yeah, yeah. this one basically, the gist was, you know, there was more complaints related to collection, but auto was a pretty small part of that. So for us, it wasn't, um, you know, super concerning for this particular year. Next year, maybe a complete opposite story. So we'll have yep. to kind of see. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. Well, we, we know that, you know, uh, Dave Uagio um, and the CFPB in general, uh, whenever Rohit Chopra gets confirmed, um, they are going to put an added emphasis on, you know, how consumers were treated during the pandemic. So we probably will see a lot of kind of retroactive um, supervisory um, initiatives and or enforcement actions um, if it was determined that, you know, auto lenders are, were not um, completely forthright, at least in the CFPB's view, with their consumers. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um, I believe that's all we have for today. Um, you know, we want to hear from you, our, our listeners. Uh, rate the roadmap on whatever platform you use to listen to the roadmap. Um, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, Amanda, thanks so much for joining me. And um, we will see everyone online at autofinancenews.net or here next week on the next episode of the Weekly Wrap. Thank you.